Good day and welcome to this week's episode of Shukri Legal on WESN Content Capital. I am your host, Rondel Donovan, Tini at Law. Once again, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be alive. I'm happy to bring the law and you. Uh, today, uh, we have our guest once again, international guest, Queen's Council of Anand Biharilal from Two Bedford Road Chambers in the United Kingdom. And today we are speaking about the recent uh, Privy Council ruling uh, with respect to the death penalty uh, in Trinidad and Tobago. And basically what had happened is that um, nine out, out of the UK's most senior judges have refused to ban the mandatory death penalty in Trinidad and Tobago. And um, this has been uh, a legal battle from a, from a long time. And, um, and of course, to get some context, we are here to speak with Queen's Council United Kingdom, who is versed in constitutional law matters as in the UK as well as in the Caribbean and Trinidad and Tobago. So once again, good day, um, Anand. How are you? Very well, Rondell. Good to see you again and hope everybody's uh, keeping well your side. Yes, yes. We are keeping well. We are open up and, and everything is, everyone is keeping safe, hopefully. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, yes, yeah, so, uh, I mean, it has been, on Monday, there was a historic uh, landmark decision um, from a, um, a wide, expanded, rather, board of the Judicial Committee of the Privy Council um, with respect to uh, ruling on uh, the mandatory death penalty in Trinidad and Tobago. Um, now, give us some context in terms of how, how we've got to this, um, to this decision. Okay, well... Um there was a decision called Matthews versus the state, an appeal from Trinidad and Tobago. And essentially, there were challenges made by prisoners in Trinidad and Tobago and other Caribbean islands as to the constitutionality of the death penalty, because various Caribbean states, including Trinidad and Tobago, have decided to retain the uh, penalty of death by hanging for the offense of murder. And this is clearly a deliberate choice by Caribbean states, which, uh, as everyone agrees, is independent of any uh, connection to Britain. And as a result of that, it was felt, well, hang on, Trinidad and Tobago has a written constitution. This written constitution is the supreme law of the land. That constitution says, um, I cannot be subjected to cruel and unusual punishment, and my life cannot be taken away, uh, etc. And these are basic human rights enshrined in the Constitution. These arguments were made roughly about 20 years ago, uh, Rondell. Yeah. And at one time, the Privy Council accepted that the Constitution trumps the death penalty. When that happened, there was a backlash from various Caribbean islands saying, well, hang on, we have retained a law here in the Caribbean for various states that says if you commit murder, the sentence is death. No ifs, no buts. And it is not for uh, an interpretation of the Constitution to nullify that deliberate choice. Now, because of the backlash, the Privy Council convened an enlarged board, which included... Uh, the Caribbean jurist, Justice Zaka. And as I say, this is, you know, about 20 years ago now. And then that enlarged board in a case called Matthews said, well, we are, we, we realize we've made an error here. And it was by majority where the majority said, well, hang on. If 
Caribbean states say that they wish to retain the death penalty and they make that legal choice, then the only people who can change that is parliament. That is the parliament of the sovereign independent state concerned. So for Trinidad and Tobago, it is parliament, the legislature in Port of Spain, in the Red House, that has to make the decision to either keep the death penalty or not keep the death penalty. So that gives you the background and context. So why was there this further appeal um, uh, in this historic judgment handed down on Monday? Yes. Well, that's um, a little easier to answer. Since various Caribbean states have joined the jurisdiction of the Caribbean Court of Justice, the Caribbean Court of Justice has decided to be a little, shall we say, creative. And they have interpreted the uh, various provisions in the Constitution to enable it to sidestep the decision of certain states to keep certain offenses and certain penalties. Now, the issues that the Caribbean Court of Justice and the cases they were involved in are not exactly the same, and that's very important to understand. The, there, are, there is a proper basis to distinguish what they did versus the decision of Matthews and the decision of uh, Chandler versus the state, which was the one that was handed down on Monday. But basically, what it came to was this. Trinidad and Tobago has a written constitution, which is declared as the Supreme Court of the land. When it became independent, uh, it kept uh, the queen as head of state, but still had a written constitution where it set out various rights. In that constitution, it also included a savings clause, which basically said any law that existed before independence remains valid and shall not be invalidated by virtue of the new constitution. And, and, and just to get some context, sorry, when, we say, when we say the laws of Trinidad and Tobago, do we mean um, the laws in relation to the British colonial laws? Um, it, we mean any laws, any laws that were in place at the time of independence. So that included, Rondell, uh, some laws which they may have inherited, but again, something which is not well known uh, in Trinidad and Tobago than perhaps our most senior citizens. Um, there was, prior to independence, a legislative assembly in Trinidad and Tobago. It was the precursor to what today is Parliament. And that body had the power to make law. And it made law. And so the body of laws that Trinidad and Tobago had at the time of independence was a combination of laws they had inherited and laws that the island itself had passed uh, under its colonial powers. And when Trinidad and Tobago became independent, Dr. Eric Williams, uh, Dr. Rujanath Kapildeer, when they traveled to England, when they went to uh, the delegation at Marlborough House and so on, and we're talking about how independence would come about, adopting a written constitution. A very conscious decision was taken by the original uh, uh, diplomats, delegates for Trinidad and Tobago yeah. to retain certain laws, but then going forward, give parliament the power to change them if it wanted to. Now, that's a very sensible course to take. It's a common provision that is found in many constitutions. And what the savings clause does is it effectively pulls in position all of the laws of a country 
so that when it becomes independent or otherwise evolves its constitution, the rule of law doesn't suddenly stop. The rule of law continues until Parliament, as the new legislative body, decides to make changes. So Trinidad and Tobago's constitution contained that when it became independent. And not only that, and this was the critical feature or one of the critical features in the recent case of Chandler, when Trinidad and Tobago became a republic, it repeated the savings clause in the new constitution. Now, once that happened, you cannot doubt that the independent parliament of Trinidad and Tobago has said it wishes to keep all existing law in place, however long it existed, whether it was before uh, independence or after independence, as long as that provision uh, uh, bites, it, it protects existing law, which uh, was enacted prior to independence. Now, that means in Trinidad and Tobago, I'm sure to the delight of many people uh, mm. in, in politics Indeed. and perhaps many citizens, that the Privy Council has once again said it's a matter for the state of Trinidad and Tobago to decide whether it keeps the death penalty for murder or not. It is not for the courts and it's not for the Privy Council. So in other words, if Trinidad and Tobago one day wishes to change the penalty for the offense of murder to something other than the death penalty, let us say life imprisonment, then Parliament has to legislate that change and change the law. And does that mean they have to change the Constitution? No, it doesn't. In fact, Trinidad and Tobago could say the offence, that uh, the section that deals with the death penalty for murder should simply be changed, and we make that change in Parliament, which would say, as they did in England, because the similar change was made um, many years ago, to remove the mandatory penalty of death and replace it with the mandatory penalty of life imprisonment. And then that brings with it certain flexibility that it could be life with a minimum term of 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, or life without possibility of parole. Now, the situation that we, we, we found ourselves in, I mean, as you said, 20 years later or so, I mean, this particular Chandler case has had numerous appeals. Uh, yeah. and, and therefore, why is it that it, it, it took now to, for the board of the Judicial Committee of the Privy Council to arrive at, at a decision basically stating that uh, the courts cannot decide on this savings clause because the savings clause was there before the Constitution was enacted? Well, uh, I think the short answer to your question is it didn't just decide this. It actually decided this about 20 years ago in the case of Matthews. Yes. What the Privy Council has said is that in uh, due deference and respect for the Caribbean Court of Justice that appears to be forging a different kind of jurisprudence on this very interesting issue, the Privy Council said, okay, we will grant leave to argue that issue, that point, as to whether the savings clause continues to immune uh, laws which existed prior to the Constitution from constitutional challenge. And the reason it's an interesting question and an important point of law, and why almost certainly the Privy Council gave leave to argue this point, is because if uh, another court in another country, or here the Caribbean Court of Justice says, well, we've looked at the savings clause and we come to a different view, 
then that would merit the Privy Council as the highest court for various countries, various countries in the Caribbean, uh, countries in the Pacific and, and Mauritius, for example, to actually say, well, this could affect the law in not just Trinidad and Tobago, but other countries too. So we should look at this afresh. But when they examined it, there was no reason to suggest that the decision in Matthews, which had been made 20 years before, was wrong. And as you will appreciate, when uh, the decision was made prior to Matthews that suggested the death penalty was um, discretionary, in Trinidad and Tobago, I remember there was a backlash uh, from many, many people. And I remember one public official had said, um, why is the Privy Council flip-flopping with our constitution? When you commit a murder, it's death. That's simple enough. What is hard to understand about that? And so the Privy Council looked at this in critical detail. And the issue really was, does the savings clause immune penalties like the death penalty for all time? Or is it something the courts can change? Or is it something only Parliament can change. And all the Privy Council has decided, uh, again, it's not changed the decision, it's the same decision they made uh, 20 odd years ago, is that the, the public body that has to make the decision to change this law is not the courts, it is Parliament. And until Parliament makes that decision, the law remains as it is. So, um, and I know you mentioned uh, the Caribbean Court of Justice uh, uh, decision. Can you just give a, a brief outline as to what was their decision in terms of the death penalty? I know we are not signed on to the CCJ yeah. fully. Um, that, that would have been that, um, a diversion to what the Privy Council would have decided. Well, essentially, what the Caribbean Court of Justice felt is that the savings clause, which was deliberately included in the Constitution by the original uh, delegates that piloted Trinidad and Tobago, or piloted various islands to independence. They were saying that that savings clause cannot be intended and should not be read as being impossible to change without parliamentary intervention. They were saying that if in interpreting the Constitution, it requires uh, the courts to modify a penalty, in this instance, the death penalty, then the courts should be able to do it. The problem with that thinking, Rondell, is that the courts are then taking unto themselves the power to make law. And that is, and that is a very, very serious thing to do, because generally speaking, the courts only make law when it comes to evolving common law decisions. So law that was made by judges historically, judges are able to modify that so that it can come in line with modern thinking and other changes in the law. But when it comes to written laws passed by parliament, unless there is some provision in the constitution that gives the court the power to change it, only Parliament can change it. And that is a very important thing to understand because our constitution in Trinidad and Tobago specifically says we have Parliament, we have government, and we have the judiciary, the three arms of state. 
And each body has its functions. In other words, as they say in Trinidad, everybody has to bat in their crease. Indeed. And, and this is obviously different from the United States um, uh, judicial system where the, the judges, they make laws. Um, well, not, not to, necessarily. To some extent. Um, yeah. It, it, it's the same in Trinidad. Look, I, I mean, in terms of making laws, the power of the courts to make law is very restricted. They cannot make law, even in the United States of America, which follows, um, which follows uh, the common law. Now, there have been some interesting decisions from the U.S. Supreme Court, and I suspect we're going to see more. We've yes. heard about the leaking of the new opinion after Roe and Wade potentially affecting women's rights there. But putting that to one side, generally speaking, the only time the courts can really make law is if they are evolving common law decisions, decisions which were originally made by the judges. If, however, Parliament says, I now pass this law that says um, uh, uh, citizens who are disabled will now have extra rights, okay? Let's say they legislated progressively like that. It will not be for the courts to interfere with that. Indeed, you see what I mean? It yes. will be for Parliament to either change it, repeal it, or whatever it wants to do. And as an example, um, on a previous program, we spoke about the decision of Pratt & Morgan, Indeed. which prevents people from being executed after five years. And all that is saying is, look, the death penalty remains, but if you want to carry it out, you have to do it as soon as possible. Don't have people you know, waiting around for... 10, 20 years and then not, and not execute them and then say, well, today you catch a VAPS and you decide you want to execute them. And, and, and that is my question, because now yeah. what happens to those who um, have been waiting on death row for 20 years? Sure. Their position yeah. is not affected by this decision. Their position remains exactly the same. If the state concerned, in this instance, Trinidad and Tobago, does not decide to execute someone within five years, then that person can apply to the court to say, I would like my death sentence commuted to another sentence. And, and, and there was another decision handed down by the Privy Council in a case called Budram yes. the same day, which basically uh, upholds that position that once you get to that stage, the person concerned after five years can ask the courts to now sentence them according to the crime not it passing the death penalty. And that is not inconsistent with the decision that has been made because the courts have said, the Privy Council has said, the death penalty remains, but the Constitution does not allow them to be kept on death row for more than five years. And of course, as you said, the Constitution doesn't allow them to be kept on death row for more than five years, but that yeah. is not part of an existing law. That is, that, that is basically a decision that was made um, from... Uh, from the judges or from the court? I, I would say it isn't because, you see, they had to apply in a real-life situation the constitutional provisions in relation to people today. And so they had to strike a balance. They were not going to strike down the law that says death is going to be imposed if you carry out a murder. They were never going to do that, and they didn't do that. But what they said was... Even the, 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 the position you have to adopt is that even though that penalty is available, there comes a point if you leave it too long. 
that you then move into breaching their constitutional rights because they do have constitutional rights today. All right? So that's the balance that has been struck. How do we preserve the rights of everybody, including prisoners, and also uphold the state's right to execute people if they want to? And remember, and it featured in this case, Rondell, the state of Trinidad and Tobago admitted that the death sentence is cruel and unusual punishment. But they say, but we want to keep it anyway. And the Privy Council said, well, it's an interesting argument. It's not satisfactory, but the law is on your side. You are entitled to hold on to the death penalty. Although, to be fair, the Privy Council did note people haven't been executed, I think, since 1999 when Dolcedi and his gang were executed. So we have, it seems, a kind of unofficial abolition of the death penalty because the government doesn't want to execute anybody. So it's, it's very odd. It's a very odd situation. Indeed. And uh, I was reading an article on BBC where uh, who uh, carried this report and um, what they would have uh, cited was that the Death Penalty Project, which was a legal campaign group that represented uh, Jay Chandler, uh, they said that there were about 45 people on death row in Trinidad and Tobago. And it's not clear what their fate will be. No one has been sent to the gallows, as you said, since 1999 and made huge delays. And what they're asking is for the government of the day to to update the laws. Um, I mean, in the UK, uh, the, the, the penalty for, for murder is death, is life, sorry, um, imprisonment, um, as well as I, I note that there can be an opportunity for parole. Is that correct? Yes. The, the, the modification that was made in England, which is very likely, I think, if they look at it in Trinidad, because the laws are so similar, they would probably adopt a similar um, change, is to simply substitute the death penalty for life imprisonment. But when you impose a sentence of life imprisonment, you then need to set what is called a minimum term. So you need to say, well, having looked at the crime, is this a crime where somebody went overboard with self-defense? Is it a professional assassination? Is it someone who carried out a killing when they were heavily inebriated and otherwise wouldn't have done it? Things of that nature. If somebody's convicted of murder, what I've just illustrated to you with those few examples is it covers such a wide spectrum that it's virtually impossible to say the same penalty should apply to each and every type of murder. Some may require a lower minimum term. It might say, well, it should be 15 years or it should be 20 years or in a most heinous case, life means life. It means that they will never be released. And we have had all of those types of sentences relatively recently in England uh, being passed on various people who have committed murder. Indeed. And, and, and the, the, the situation we face now is that this ruling has been handed down. Uh, what, what, what's next? I mean, I, I know this is probably something for the state, but what do you imagine or what do you believe um, can come out of this particular ruling uh, now that the entire country is incensed and um, there has been a lot of debate about, particularly here, uh, bringing back the, the death, the, the hangman. And, and when you say bringing back the hangman, the hangman was always there. Um, yeah. Do you foresee that, um, that there will be a restart of, of, um, of hanging in Trinidad and Tobago? I don't, I don't think so. And let, let me tell you why. I think that we are, we've been looking at what's happening in Trinidad and Tobago for many years. We have seen some pretty terrible murders, Rondell. 
Yes. We have we are reading every day people getting shot and bodies being found and so on and so forth. And I can't understand. I cannot understand if Trinidad and Tobago whoever is in government doesn't matter is serious about criminal justice. It has to make radical changes and some of those radical changes may include putting more money into ensuring that these murder cases are tried and tried as soon as possible. Give them priority. Recruit more judges. Bring in part-time judges to deal with the less serious cases. Build more court, court complexes or utilize existing government buildings which are currently idle. Convert them into courts. Pass the laws to make that possible. If any government that comes to power does that. We will find that cases will be tried quicker. Murder cases will be given priority. And murder cases could potentially be tried and completed within five years. Now, if that were to happen, what then is the position of the government when it comes to the death penalty? Is it going to say, well, now we've completed the process of trial and appeal within five years? We're going to execute people? Well, at the moment, I do not know, Rondell, if they even have recruited people uh, who carry out the job of execution, the hangman, yes. so to speak. Are there any? I, I don't even know. I don't think, I don't, I've not heard that there are. I don't think you've heard any different to me. No, I haven't. So, I, I can imagine. I, I, I would assume that those are members of the prison service. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> we, we, well, we just don't know. I mean, I, I certainly know that um, if they are going to recruit someone, uh, whether it's a member of the prison service or whether it's a designated executor. That is somebody who is going to have to be given quite a lot of support, quite a lot of counselling. You may have to have more than one because taking a life is not a natural thing, even if it is for somebody who's been convicted of murder. And that is something we, we all have to think about. That is part of the process that governments have to think about if they want to start carrying out the death penalty. My own feeling, though, is that because of the change in attitude to human rights in Trinidad and Tobago, although the politicians will be delighted that this decision has been uh, uh, handed down and affirmed, so to speak, um, and many people, many members of the public will probably be very pleased about it. it, it brings us to that vexed question. Okay, is the state of Trinidad and Tobago going to start a resumption of hangings? Yeah. And, and I can't see any sign for that. No, no. the alternative um, argument is that, uh, well, instead of hanging, then you use lethal injection. Um, does that mean that legislation will now have to be changed? Does that mean that amended, sorry? And does that mean that uh, there can be constitutional challenges to, to lethal injection? Well, if they were to introduce lethal injection, that's where it's going to be very interesting because... Another argument could be made to say, well, now you are legislating today under the, the Constitution today. And what the Constitution says is that the Savings Clause only applies to offences and, and penalties which existed before. They don't apply to offences which may involve the death penalty, which you're, which you're going to create today. Indeed. That will contravene, contradict the Constitution of Trinidad and Tobago. So if they tried to bring in lethal injection, 
I suspect that there will be a constitutional challenge. I suspect that it would probably succeed. But because death by hanging is preserved in the law, that will remain lawful until Trinidad and Tobago decides otherwise. Until Trinidad and Tobago decides otherwise, Adam. We are, we are out of time, but this is a very interesting um, development. And we will wait and see what is happening um, now because Privy Council's decision has been handed down. It's the final court of appeal um, mm -hmm. in our jurisprudence. Um, so let's see where this goes. Absolutely. Delighted to be with you. Uh, thank you once again for agreeing to come on, on, on Strictly Legal. You have been invaluable. And um, do have a great evening. I know it's afternoon over there now. <laughs> it, it, it is. It's, uh, it's now quarter to four, but yes. you too. Have yes. a good morning. You too. Take care now. Take care. Thank you so much. Uh, guys, you have been watching Strictly Legal on WESN Content Capital. Please be viewing our replay as well as our podcast, Strictly Legal with Rondell Donawa. Um, do have a great day and a great weekend coming. Uh, stay safe. God bless.